Well, good morning. So I, I am a hoarder. I just want to fess that up. And um, in fact, I think it might have worked for me. We just came back from holiday and we live in a block of flats and someone broke into the storage area while we were away and, you know, broke into everyone's storage boxes and went through the stuff. I, I think I lost a power tool, that's all. And, um, but I kind of thought, you know, maybe because I'm a hoarder, my, my storage box probably, this person thought, oh my, all this stupid rubbish in here. <laughs> you know, just kind of gave up kind of thing. Because, you know, I'm the sort of person who goes to the dump and I come back with more than what I took, right? At least that would be the case if I didn't know Elspeth was at home, you know. <laughs> and um, so when the children... Uh, we're young, because the reason I like keeping stuff is because you can always find something to do with it, can't you? See, it's always useful in the end, in the end. Now, when the children were young, we went on holiday about 10 times with another family to North Devon, or as one of our daughters called it, North Heaven. And uh, we used to take these bodyboards that Elspeth had also used when she was a child, right? This is like, right, it's wooden, okay, board like this. And uh, these days, they're made of polystyrene. That is definitely an improvement, maybe not ecologically, but because when you wipe out on a board like this, you kind of lose a handle on the board, and, and what ends up is it ends up belting you, and you get a massive big bruise because it's, it's solid, right? It's heavy. Whereas if you wipe out on a polystyrene board, it doesn't really bruise you. So that is an improvement. Anyway, during lockdown, one of our projects was... These are Elspeth's. There's two of them, actually. I've only brought one. You can see it's a bit flaky on the paint. We kind of sanded... Elspeth did this. She sanded off the flaky paint and varnished it. And when we put them up on the wall, got to put a thing on to pop it up on the wall because it's just something fun. Because when Elspeth was a child, she was using these as well. And so she wanted, alongside the two boards on the wall, to put up like a display of photos going back. And, uh, and, and so one of the other things that I rescued, I better lay this down, because Elspeth's quite precious about that, so uh, she was worried I had it propped up, it could fall over, you know. So, so I, one of my other rescues from a dump was this. I found this, it actually had frames here and here as well, but one of them was smashed and it was broken. The glass was all gone. And I thought, you know, I could, I'd kept this, it was in my store box and uh, took off the broken bits, made it good, found some Perspex sheets that were the right size on eBay. We printed off the photographs. I even got some lollipop sticks involved as well, because I, I, I also keep those, by the way. I, I know this, if you think I need prayer, that's... Uh, <laughs> if you think Elspeth needs prayer. Okay, so, um, and these are photographs, which we don't want you to look at, because it's... Uh, it's, uh, but it's got Elspeth's dad and, and Elspeth when she was a child and her sisters and stuff. So it's great fun, isn't it, these things? So, you know, I enjoy restoring. And um, why am I telling you this? Well, I believe this. God loves to do restoration work. God loves to restore. In Acts 3, 18 to 21, we have a record of one of Peter's very earliest talks. The Apostle Peter, we're going to be looking at his letter, but this is a talk he gave soon after Jesus was resurrected, and he preached this. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God 
so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah, because there's a promise that Christ will come back again. He may send the Messiah who's been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him, because he'd been ascend- he'd just ascended, and we're waiting for him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. Our God loves to restore things and he's planning to restore the whole cosmos. And uh, we, we read this then at the end of uh, Peter's first letter, uh, 1 Peter 5, 10 to 11. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. So God is going to restore you and he's going to restore his cosmos. That is good news. So we live in a throwaway world. Christ's resurrection tells us that God doesn't throw away and start over. The empty tomb tells us that. Because God could have just given Jesus a brand new body, but he took the old body to make the new one. That tells us something about how God works. He likes to remodel. He likes to restore Almost every time God does a miracle in the Bible, he starts with something the person has. The kid's lunchbox is multiplied to feed 5,000. The widow's last bottle of olive oil, she just keeps pouring and the oil keeps coming. God multiplies it. The flagons of water of which they had plenty are turned into flagons of wine of which they had had none. God works with what we have. Oops, you might be thinking, but granny, we cremated granny. What's God going to do about that? Look. Listen, God can work it all out. He's, he's in charge of all the atoms in the universe, okay? It, 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 this is why traditionally Christians have often gone for burial, but cremation is just fine. Personally, I want to be cremated, so just so you know that. Um, um, so, right, so you know what to do when I... When I anyway, <clears throat> now the gospel is an offer from God to everyone to come and participate in his restoration program. There is a hard side to this as well, as Peter shows us in today's passage, those who don't want to participate in the restoration program are destined for destruction. Okay? So I'm going to read the whole of 1 Peter chapter 3. And as I look, as I read it out, would, would you look out for the, way, the frequent way Peter addresses the Christians? He's writing to a church. He calls them dear friends. It's literally beloved. Okay? Then secondly, notice how often he invites us to recall or not forget and that kind of language, okay? And thirdly, if you're familiar with the sort of arc of the universe described in the Bible, you'll notice how Peter keeps referring to some key points in God's account of of the cosmos, like the creation, Noah's flood, the day of judgment that's to come, the recreation of the whole universe, stuff like this, okay? You'll you'll notice it as we go through it. So we'll just go straight through it from the New International Version. Verse 1. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Saviour through your apostles. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. 
But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. It's right back, Genesis 1. Okay. Verse 6. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. Genesis again, Noah's flood. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved by fire, being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. Verse, verse 8. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance, to sign up for his restoration program. Verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. We didn't expect to be burgled while we were on holiday. If you were expecting the burglar, you would be able to prevent it. Right? It's always going to be a bit of a surprise. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. Do you know we can do that? We can speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Just as our dear brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him. Peter's referencing the apostle Paul. He's honoring his fellow apostle. Verse 16. He, Paul, writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand. Do you find some of Paul's letters a bit hard to understand? Yeah, Peter did too which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. So Peter, the early church, was already acknowledging Paul's letters as scripture. Can you see that? Verse 17, Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Amen. So um, some of this stuff about the false teachers and stuff, that, that you can listen to last week when James was speaking about that so helpfully. So Peter tells us that he has written both of his letters to stimulate us to wholesome thinking or to stir up your sincere mind, English Standard Version, how and what we think are important, and so are how and what we believe, and how and what we love. These things are all important, and God wants to restore us in all those dimensions. Peter makes several points in this passage, which I want to go through. Let's look at them. Um, I, I haven't picked every point out. I've picked seven. We'll have to see how far we get. So one, 
Recall the Bible's account of the cosmos. Verse 2. Dear friends, uh, well, verse 2, I'll jump to it. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets. That's the Old Testament. And the command given by our Lord and Saviour through your apostles. He's later on he'll reference the Apostle Paul. So he's kind of encompassed the Old Testament and the New. He says, I want you to recall these words. All right, in this passage, um, you know, before I was a Christian, I, I despised the Bible. I was made to study religious knowledge, O level, O levels back then. And, um, but after I turned to Jesus, I just wanted to read the Bible. And I remember reading the book of Romans. I didn't, I didn't get all of it, but what I did get just made total sense to me. It was like a light popping. This is describing me, my experience, my need of God to come and restore me, to turn me around, to rescue me and change me. You know, someone has said the Bible's like cup of soup. Try and eat it dry and it'll choke you, right? You've really got, got to add the boiling water of the Holy Spirit to make it nourishing. So don't try reading the Bible on your own. It's a really good idea to ask, Holy Spirit, help me. You were the author of this through these human authors. Um, and, and, uh, and it will become nourishing. Now you'd imagine maybe Peter, after saying about the words and the commands, he'd go on to mention something like the Ten Commandments or other such laws or statements. But that isn't what Peter does, actually. He, he starts to talk to them and refer back to key events like Noah's flood, like the creation, like the promise that Jesus will return. And, uh, and that in God's judgment, he will destroy the ungodly. But there's an opportunity for us because God wants everyone to turn to him and participate in the restoration rather than to die. God does not want anyone to die. He wants us to live. He wants us to have life and his gift of life. So Peter is reminding us we're not in a random new universe. We're not in a universe that's going around in repeat cycles like a kind of Groundhog Day movie on a grand scale. Our lives are meaningful because we're part of a great vision, vision God has to repair the broken creation, to bring heaven back to earth. Phil Moore writes, a proper knowledge of how history is going to end will make us holy and godly and eager to proclaim the gospel to unbelievers to quicken the great day when Jesus returns. So true. So let's, let, let's, from this first point, wrapping up, let's read our Bible. Let's read the story of these events. You'll never be able to recall the words if you haven't ever read them, yeah? So I know it's a huge challenge. It's a massive book, the Bible. It's really intimidating, especially maybe the Old Testament. But you know, every mountain is climbed one step at a time. So if you'll start and not give up, you'll find you've read more and more of it. And God will bless you through that because it's the word of life. So let's not forget, we can be part of God's big restoration project. Number two, understand that God's account of the cosmos will be challenged. From verse 3, it says, Above all, you must understand in the last days, and that's all the days from Jesus' resurrection till he comes back, scoffers will come scoffing and following their, old, uh, their evil desires. They will say, Where is this coming? He promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. Peter refers to this, and, and he's starting this chapter by emphasizing God's word and God's command. But whenever people of faith do that, I don't know about you, but I then begin to think, yeah, but God, what about how things are actually? You know, what, that these promises haven't been fulfilled. And Peter does something very helpful, a practice Tim Keller recommends. 
Peter voices up the objections of those who are feeling a bit doubtful about God's promises. Will, will he keep his promises? Because don't you, don't you ever doubt that? And it's wonderful how Peter voices that up because he helps us, he gives us permission. Yeah, I, I have thought that actually. And what, so what's the answer, Peter? Right? And um, actually, you know, I don't know whether you've ever wondered how God got people to write all the books of the Bible because it's quite a lot of effort. I mean, we have, you know, you can just write stuff on your phone really quickly. But back in the day, it was a real effort to get anything written down, really costly apart from anything else, the materials, what have you. How did he get them to go into this huge effort? I, I think part of it was getting them to grapple and realise, yeah, God, you've promised this, but what I see around me is this, and there's a tension, there's a gap between what you've promised and what I'm experiencing. And that's, in a sense, what every book of the Bible is grappling with. So how does he answer that? Well, let's go to point three. Don't forget what God has previously done, God's track record of fulfilling promises. He says, verse five, they deliberately forget that long ago by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. So he reminds them, remember God created everything. He's even created you, absolutely everything has been created by God. And then he reminds them of something else. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. He's reminding them about Noah's flood. And then by the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. Peter reminds us, as he did in chapter 2, about this great flood of Noah. Why is he doing that? Because he's saying, you're, you're, you're doubting. You're, you've got a promise from God that he will come again and he will judge evil, get rid of evil, destroy it, and, in, and remake his heavens and earth where there'll only be righteousness and goodness and loveliness and purity. And, and everything will be wonderful. And you're saying, well, I don't think he's going to do it. He hasn't done it yet. And he's saying, yeah, but wait a minute. God did it before. Don't you remember? When in the days of Noah, God brought a judgment before where he, um, he, he removed wickedness from the earth by water that time. And since he's done it before, don't you think he can do it again next time by fire? Yes, this is a way in which we encourage uh, one another. Now, God's judgments, remember, are not simply wanton acts of destruction, like a drunken rock star who smashes up his hotel room after the gig. No, it's not like that. God's judgment is always righteous, it's holy, just punishment of evil. So God is not against the material worlds. The destruction, in verse 7, is the destruction of the ungodly. It's not destroy, destroying that which is good. He, God wants to rescue his good creation from evil. So, and I think we can resonate with this because I don't know about you, but obviously in the news at the moment are the terrible atrocities occurring in Ukraine. And we want there to be justice, don't we? We know that the International Criminal Court, that other international bodies are researching the crimes and gathering the evidence so that if possible, in the future, people would be prosecuted. Do you know why do human beings want to do this? Because we're made by a God who is just a God who is not happy that there is evil, a God who wants to punish evil, but who is also so kind that he says to us, if you will turn away from your evil, I will forgive you and I will restore you and I will make you new. Isn't that a wonderful God that we follow? So we can be part of God's big restoration project. And, uh, and so, and, you know, in our personal lives, 
we can also learn from our track record, our history. God has a, his, God has a history of being able to judge evil. Most of the time, he's very patient and he lets people get, be more and more evil. But, a, but the Noah's flood shows he can and he will judge evil. And we should rejoice in that. But we should also be fearful and seek his salvation. But we can also experience this in personal ways. When I was quite a new Christian, I went on a gap year with a Christian organization called Youth with a Mission. And my parents were not Christians, so they were pretty suspicious about this. They didn't support this uh, year out in any way. And I needed to raise the funds to, to do this. And uh, at one stage, I needed £100. And at that time, Youth with a Mission was buying a big ship, huge ship called Anastasis. Some of you might know, eventually that ministry was spun off as Mercy Ministries. Some of you are nodding, you remember this. But it was used to go around the world. It was a hospital ship to places to help uh, do operations on people, all kinds of stuff like that. And I thought, you know, I felt God, I, should, I had very little money, but I gave £10, something like that, into helping to buy this big ship, which they did eventually buy. And, you know, within a week or two, I received a check for about £100, as I remember it. Now, now, listen, I'm not one of these wealth gospel people, you know, give God a pound, he'll give you ten back. But it was literally like that. And it was the beginning of many adventures I've had with money in my life. And when you, have, you start small with these adventures and then you build a track record, you see, yeah, I can trust God about money, let's say, or whatever else it is. It might be a particular area of healing. I've known people who get particular success praying for the healing of backs, let's say, but no success at all praying for other kinds of healing. You need to find out how God has really wired you and find those track records. And um, so... You know, that, that, that I've had lots of adventures with money, but I don't have time to talk about them this morning. So number four then, don't forget what God is like, right? God is patient. So this is another reason that Peter gives to um, understand that although God's promises are not yet fulfilled, don't worry, they will be. God is true to his word. So do not forget this one thing, dear friends, right? Or verse 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That's why he's patient. That's why he's not rushing to bring judgment in the world. Because he's giving room for yet other people to turn to him. God won't tolerate evil forever. That's what this, uh, this account is telling us. He will come back. He will bring evil to judgment. He will bring destruction on all that is evil. But until that day, by God's grace, the gospel of God is an offer of amnesty, of forgiveness, of being cleansed and being made fit for God's promised new age. So why would we quarrel with God's delay when that delay has been our opportunity to receive and enjoy his grace. So don't forget, you can be, maybe you already are now part of God's big restoration project. So number five, keep looking forward and playing your part in the story. Since, verse 11, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. You see, the ground of this is not that God says, thou shalt this, 
although those are very helpful things, but that we're looking forward. We know we're part of something bigger, which is aiming somewhere really good. We see a vision of a preferable future, and we're making ready for it. We are living now as if that future is more real than the future we see around us. That even affects what you do with money. Because if you, if you don't see that future vision, you'll want to hoard money all the time. But when you see that future vision, you can be much more generous because you're living as if that future is the true reality to which we are all headed. So Peter's clearly concerned about our ethical conduct. Right? Christianity is not a moral code, nor is it a set of philosophical ideas. No, Christianity is an account of God's actions that tells us what reality is like. The creation is consistent with this creator. It's rational, ethical, purposeful. It's also extraordinary. It's full of life. But yeah, sadly, we have broken it, torn it up, marred it, and made a mess of it. The gospel forms us into people who love the God who is good and kind and just and holy and, and then we begin to be restored to be like him. As Peter wrote in the beginning of his letter uh, in chapter 1 verse 3, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he's given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you might, might participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. This is our calling, this is our destiny, this is the high place into which God has introduced us. And he goes on with some other um, things in chapter one, but we'll skip that. Um, our stories are very important. You know, commands sh help to form our will, statements help to form our thinking, promises help to form our believing, but stories, I suggest you, help to form our loving. And loving will direct your behavior more than anything else. So I remember after my dad died, my stepmother wanted his stuff cleared from the house just as quick as you like. And uh, that amounted to his clothes and then the stuff in the only room in the house that was kind of his, which was his kind of office. And I'm not sure I'd ever been in that room before the day I went to clear it. Um, and at that stage, I hadn't lived with my father for 40 odd years. And yet when I sat at my dad's desk and started to go through it all, it all seemed so familiar. It was not my desk, and yet it was so much like my desk. I was completely bowled over, despite the space of many years, by how many habits and practices my father had that were just like mine. That is the wrong, do you understand? In other words, I had habits that were just like his. I'd caught them. That's how, you, that's how we catch things. That's why it's so good to read the Bible, because we catch what it is to walk with God just by reading the stories. You know, I used to think, what do I know if I know a story? I don't know anything. I want facts. I want doctrines. But friends, if that's the case, why is so much of the Bible stories? Because stories do something. We catch something from them. So, so read the stories. You'll catch something from those. But there's a dark side to that inheritance, isn't there, as well? See, my dad was an adulterer, and his dad was an adulterer. That's why my parents' marriage broke up. And, um, but, you know, I got saved when I was 18. That gave my life a new script. I guess I could have been like my grandfather and my father, 
but I wasn't. I met Jesus and I resolved I'm not going to be an adulterer. I wasn't married, of course, when I was 18, but once I was married, it became my resolution. I am not going to be, my grandfather was an adulterer, my father was an adulterer, I am not going to be an adulterer. By the grace of God, I've managed not to be. So we are part of a new story now, and it gives us a new way of looking forward. Look forward is, some translations have weight. Wait in English language can be quite passive, can't it? But to wait in the Bible is always eager, active, hopeful. To wait involves anticipation. It's like watching for the screen, watching the screen for when your flight is going to be called. It's like you're going to meet that old friend and you're meeting somewhere, you know, in central Leeds and you've both got to share your location and you're watching them getting closer to the rendezvous. It's exciting. There's anticipation. Are you looking forward to Jesus' return? I hope you are. If, if we don't need a quickly coming Lord, our Christianity is faulty in some way. Um, 1, 2 Timothy 4.8, the Apostle Paul writes, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Do you love the idea of Jesus coming back? of his appearing. I hope you do, because the Apostle Paul says that's what we Christians do. So we're part of this great um, restoration project. What are we waiting for? Well, verse 13, that in keeping with his promise, we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. We're looking for the restoration of all things, the recreation of the heavens and the earth. There's a day coming when all wrongs will be righted, when all things shall be well. Some Christians think these passages about the elements being melted by fire speak to God creating a brand new universe to replace the existing one. And I mean, that may be how God will do it in his wisdom. But for my money, it's going to be a restoration project. You see, when Peter says elements here, he didn't have a periodic table, you know, like our scientists have developed. Wonderfully, isn't it? What God has put in the whole creation for us to discover. No, he didn't have that. They, they said the elements were earth, water, fire, and um, air. That's right. But even that's probably not likely. Most likely what he meant was demons, because in, like Paul, Colossians 2.8 says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world. Do you see that same word there? So I, I believe God's planning to remove all those forces at that point, and lay bare the earth for his scrutiny and judgment and then for his restoration. Because I think that's like how God likes to work. I think he, he doesn't need to throw stuff away because he's powerful enough to restore it. Isn't that wonderful? Better than the repair shop. Right? And, uh, you know, that, that's so important. It's so valuable. It's so wonderful. And... And it's going to be a physical universe. You know, when we often sing songs like we're going to be taken home. This is home. Heaven is going to be brought to earth. That's what happens. You read it in Revelation 20, 21, 22. Heaven will be brought to earth. They'll be reunited at last when Jesus returns. We won't be taken away somewhere else. It's not an evacuation. It's a restoration. And we will be part of it. And we will still be able to have music concerts. We'll be able to study things. We'll be able to do sewing and knitting and... All, I, I'm just guessing at this, but it's going to be a real physical universe. We, we've, we're too kind of ethereal about these things. So 
Um, you know, God can do that kind of thing. At the beginning of the lockdown, I showed one Sunday morning on Zoom, I showed this box, which at the time was not, um, uh, was something I inherited from my grandfather, my mother's father, and um, who actually wasn't her father, biologically, and that's another thing as well. Um, as my grandmother told me, she got a chap at work to get her pregnant. Um, so look, families are complicated, aren't they? Anyway, I, my grand, that grandfather had taught me woodwork. He taught me how to make things, and we used to make all kinds of stuff in his shed from all kinds of old stuff. And this was one of the boxes I inherited. I got all his tools, and it was all a bit of a mess. So I, I, I restored it a little bit, which is glued it back together and gave it a bit more of a finish. It, it's not very good. I'm clearly not up to the standard of the repair shop, am I? So, but, you know, God is going to work in your life and to restore you. So we're going to... Um, just jump, jump to the end now. I was going to make a couple of other points out of the passage. Maybe we could go to the last slide, Gaz, if you don't mind. These, there were seven points, and I've got to five of them. So that's pretty good. Hey, will you give me a, a B? <laughs> B minus? Anyway, so um, just, to, you know, we are in the middle of the story at the moment. And, you know, the middle is the hardest place to be. Let's say you're running a marathon. The beginning, you're excited Near the end, you can see the finish line and fresh energy comes to you. But in the middle, that's the tough part. I've never run a marathon, by the way. It's, uh, but I understand somewhere maybe about mile 20 is the worst, something like that. That's kind of where we are in the great story of the cosmos. We can lose it. We can feel, man, you know, I, I, we can drift, can lose our focus. Well... Don't do that. Be encouraged. Peter has advice for us how to keep going in the tough middle part of, of human history. So, dear friends, do that. We have a hope. We've been singing about it. Thank God for that. And we're going to sing a song about when Jesus returns. So, Graham, do come up. I'll move my props in a minute. So in the song, there's a line, we will meet him in the air. That's a reference to 1 Thessalonians because it talks about us being caught up in the air to meet the Lord. But it doesn't mean he's that we're then sailing away into some disembodied reality. We meet him in the air and we'll be coming back to earth to live here forever. It's going to be great, folks. You, you want to be there. If you don't know if you're going to be there, come and talk to me after. Let's sign you up to Alpha so you can find out how to be part of the restoration project. Bless you.